Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. The Director's Cut is now available on Spotify, so please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Rob Marshall's new musical fantasy, Mary Poppins Returns. Drawn from the Mary Poppins stories by P.L. Travers, the film takes place in Depression-era London during the 1930s, where the adult Jane and Michael Banks find themselves in need of Mary Poppins' magical abilities once again, after the family suffers a devastating loss. In addition to Mary Poppins Returns, Mr. Marshall's credits include the feature films Into the Woods, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, Nine, Memoirs of a Geisha, and the television special The Kennedy Center Honors, A Celebration of the Performing Arts. He won the DGA's Feature Film Award for his 2002 film Chicago, the Musical Variety Award in 2006 for Tony Bennett, an American classic, and was nominated for the Guild's Musical Variety Award in 1999 for Annie. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Marshall spoke with director Ron Howard about filming Mary Poppins Returns. During their conversation, Mr. Marshall discusses the pressure of directing both the beloved classic and the first film he saw as a child, knowing when and when not to reference the original Mary Poppins film, and why creating a 2D animation sequence was the hardest thing he's ever done. Congratulations. I, I'm just overwhelmed that Ron's here. I just so, sort of freaked out that you're here, Ron, because I just love your work so, so, so much. Well, I'm a fan, and we've bumped into each other here and there, so I'm, this is, this is going to be our first real conversation. <laughs> it's true. Um, but, it's true. Uh, uh, well, it, re- really remarkable, and, I, and I, have, uh, I have so many questions, and I'll try to leave a little bit of time for some, some questions from, uh, from you folks. But uh, you know, start. Th- this is an original musical, and you have you ever have you ever done? You've staged in in theater. You've staged an original, right? Yes, exactly. But I mean, I, you know, I mean, I guess there's La La Land. But I mean, the ambition, the level of of achievement here was was this something that they went to you about, or was it your idea, or how did it? Well, it was it was an interesting combination of things. I, I they always Disney knew of of my interest in in, in Mary Poppins. I you know I knew there were eight books. I knew there was material. I thought at some point there would be a sequel, but I never knew it was possible because of the fact that P.L. Travers Estate was so famously protective of the material, and so it never really was a possibility until. Um, I, I, I had finished Into the Woods with Disney, and there was this little door that was pushed open a little bit. And, um, and, and they basically said, you know, if you're interested, they'd be interested in exploring this. So I thought, okay, careful what you wish for, because then I thought, it's so daunting to consider the possibility of following that perfect, perfect first film. But... It was my first film that I saw as a child. I saw it when I was four years old. I remember it so, so well. I remember the beauty of it, the magic of it, the wonder of it, all of those things, you know? But I thought to myself, if anyone's going to do it, I want to do it. I know that's insane, but I thought, I really thought that. I thought, if anyone's going to do it, I want to be part of that because I wanted to be part of 
in a way, protecting the spirit of the first film mm -hmm. and making sure that when we moved into this original new musical, that that was, that was you know, continued in a way, carefully. I mean, you know, with great thought and care. I, I, I wanted to protect it in that way, but I also wanted to create something new. I'd never done, as you just said, I'd never done an original musical for a film. Which is, you know, my favorite musicals are those musicals from the golden era, like Singing in the Rain, in Bandwagon, and Meet Me in St. Louis, the movies that were created specifically for film, musicals that were specifically created for film. So I never had that chance, because all the musicals I'd done had come from stage. Is this story uh, from the books? Is this a, uh, an extrapolation? Or, or uh, you know, what's, how did they... How did, you have a story credit on the... Uh, yeah, well, what's interesting movie. is that the, the books are episodic. There's no narrative to them, any of them, all eight of them. Um, so they were incredibly helpful in choosing um, adventures, like the adventures and the musical sequences. And so we, were, we w w worked through all of them, myself, John DeLuca, and David McGee, worked through each one of them, and then eventually Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, to sort of pick, cherry-pick our favorite you know, adventures that we thought could be musicalized, and characters, too. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, that's, that's what was there. But what wasn't there was any kind of narrative or story at all. So what helped me find my way into this, because the question is, you know, when you're doing this and you're inheriting this extraordinary film, you know, you have to find a new path for yourself at the same time. So I was looking for an original story. And that story came to me by looking directly into the books in terms of the time period, because the books were written in the, in the Depression era, in the 30s. Mm -hmm. The Walt Disney film was set in 1910, and I think Walt Disney chose to do that. It was a more innocent time. But I was intrigued by this Depression era because it felt, in a way, more present to me, somehow more current, because it felt, you know, dealt with people struggling. You feel it in the books. Right. You know, they talk about the bank being broken, you feel it in between the lines in the books. You, they talk about 17 Cherokee Lane being the shabbiest house on the street mm -hmm. and, that, um, and that Mrs. Banks had a choice between fixing up the house and having children. You, you, you get a real sense of the, of the Depression era. And so I thought, well, we could do that. And then I realized that if we use 1910 as, our, as the beginning of the story and now we're in the 30s, Jane and Michael would be grown up and what happened to them? So it's, that's how it's sort of evolved. Fantastic cast. And, uh, and, and you know, I'm, you'd worked with Emily before, right? Yes. Uh, Lynn, of course, is, you know, is a, is, you know is a, is, understands musicals very, very well. Just a little bit. Uh, but <laughs> does Emily, I mean, I know you worked with her in Into the Woods yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Meryl. Um, are they act, sort of actors first and, and, and it, so happens that they can sing and perform, and or how does, or did they do they have those, do they have that in their background? Yes, I mean, I you know I love working with actors that in a way are new to musicals because I'm less interested in the sort of the vocal gymnastics. I'm much more interested in the character being filled by a great actor who can sing, like Ronnie Howard in Music Man. <laughs> okay, because how beautiful was was your work in that? It it was so because you were a real kid. I will say I thought about you because when I cast our kids, I was looking for real kids, real kids, not showbiz kids. 
And I love that. I, I think it's so important. You have to, you know, and film is so different than stage, where it's sort of art, somewhat artificial, and I've obviously come from theater. But in film, you can't really hide, so there has to be an authenticity to what they do. And, and the thing about Emily is, she was honestly the only person I thought of for this role. I mean, I just finished Into the Woods, and the first person I thought of was Emily. I said, Emily, is, Emily can do this. Emily, because she has the range as an actor, you know, she's so funny. But she also can play the depth of the character and the warmth of the character and can sing and dance and, and she's British, you know, sort of like this full of all these wonderful things. And Lin-Manuel, it was actually John DeLuca's idea. John said to me, what about Lin-Manuel? And I thought, this is such a great idea. And I met with him. It was in between shows at Hamilton. So he was wiped out. But I, what I, here's what I felt from him right away. I, he's so authentic and so, he has such an enthusiasm. He, like a, literally a childlike sensibility. And I honestly thought, well, there's Jack. Because I needed an optimistic, pure spirit, which is what he is. He's so, he, I don't know, he's, he, he's so effervescent. Everything about him is so, I don't know, very childlike in a way. He's not jaded, which is insane coming from the theater. You'd think he'd be so jaded, but he's just not jaded. And I just love, and, uh, you know, and I just saw that he could bring that to this. And so that began our cast. And then Meryl, I, I, I said, Meryl, you know, um, would you ever consider playing a small role? The, the character in the books is actually a man, Fred Turvey. And so I said, but we're thinking, and then he has a love interest named Topsy. So we just kind of flipped it around. And I said, would you ever be interested? And she goes, what took you so long to ask me? Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, and then she said, yes, of course. And, I, and Ben Wishaw is a fantastic. Yeah. Ben Wishaw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ben, with him Ben's extraordinary, isn't he? Yeah. He, said, um, he said Mary Poppins is the reason he wanted to become an actor. Wow. I, found, I, I found as I was working on this that it was the, the, the movie is so deep in people's hearts and souls. I'm sure it's true here. I know it's true. Because it's, it, and, 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 I, and I knew that when we were working on this, that everybody who was part of it, the entire team, needed to somehow have it in their blood. Because we were, the bar was so high, we're reaching so high to, you know, to, to follow in that, those beautiful footsteps and create something completely original at the same time. Well, and thank you for finding a, a, a way to get Dick Van Dyke into. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that was a total <laughs> joy, a total dream come true. That was a childhood dream come true. He was my hero, period, the end, from everything, from Bye Bye Birdie, Dick Van Dyke Show, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, all of it, Mary Poppins, all of it. And I couldn't believe he said yes. I couldn't believe that when we walked on the set, he actually grabbed my hand, Ron, and said to me, I feel the same spirit here on this set as I did on the first uh, film. And then I thought, well, that's it. Just take me right now. Just kill me. <laughs> because that was, that was like a total full circle. And when he did that monologue with the kids, when he tells the story about the tuppence and so forth, and we were, you, you, we were just talking about this before. You were talking about some of the strains of music. Yes. Themes from the original. Themes. And I was very strategic about when to use them because you can abuse that very quickly. So I wanted to wait to most of it till towards the end of the film when I felt we'd earned it. And, but I felt he's talking about the tuppence and the bird lady and so forth. And I thought, well, here's the moment to play feed the birds just very subtly underneath him. So I'm hearing feed the birds cause I like having music on the set. So I'm hearing feed the birds and I'm watching Dick deliver this and I could not, I lost it. 
I just lost it and I couldn't, you know, cut. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do, I couldn't, it sort of, it just sort of stopped because they were like, I guess it's over. I mean, I could, I was so, I, w I was, I was beyond moved. Well, it's amazing. The degree of difficulty on this movie is mind blowing. I mean, I was, I was watching and I was thinking, well, um, you know, I've, you've, you've done a bit of this and you've done a bit of that and you've made very ambitious films and, and yet suddenly there's this huge animation sequence uh, and, uh, you know, and, and how did you find working with the animators? Well, it was the hardest thing I, I've ever done, that, because it's such a combination of challenges. Um, I think I, 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 I challenged myself in a way by saying I, I wanted to have hand-drawn animation 2D animation in this film because I thought it was so important to the DNA of, of Mary Poppins. I used myself as a barometer the whole time. I thought, if I was coming to a sequel, what would I want to see? And I would feel cheated if I didn't see a hand-drawn animation sequence. So, of course, that was hugely complicated, but it was worth every second. We, we, we actually had to take animators out of retirement really? to do this, a majority of them. Yeah. They're so, they're, because it's, a, it's kind of a lost art, yeah. although I was very encouraged because um, we had over 100 animators, and... Um, some of them were 20-somethings who are much more interested now in learning the old-school Disney, you know, classic-style animation. Um, but the layers of that were so complicated because you are working with original music and dance arrangements and choreography, and, and I choreograph too, so, because I come from that. And so, so John DeLuke and I are choreographing, and we were, you know, everything has to be choreographed you know, every little section, every little animal, every right. penguin is all choreographed and, it's, and, 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 um, and you have that, but you also have visual effects because you have to, you're combining the camera moves into the hand-drawn world. It's really remarkable, <laughs> and I was wondering that about the choreography because do you, did, did you choreograph it with people and then video it and then give it to the animators? Or how, how, did, you, how did you actually come up with the choreography, literally? Such a great question, Ron. Um, you know what? The only way I knew how to do it was with people. So what I did was I, I found the smallest dancers I could find in London. <laughs> I mean, I know it's ridiculous, but, uh, but, you know, and they were penguins. And I choreographed them, and we would shoot it three times. Mm -hmm. So we would have, let's say, Emily and Lynn and the and the reference dancers mm -hmm. in green, mm -hmm. against green. Right. And then they would step out, and, uh, and then I would just have Emily and Lynn dance, and then they would step out, and then I would just have the reference dancers dance so the animators know what, knew what to draw, right. you know. But the great thing was when, when we were shooting it, you know, because we had rehearsed it so, I mean, we rehearsed for over two months. It's the only way I know how to do something like this because of there's children involved too, you right. know. So you, so you really need the time. And I think, you know, I always find this for me, and maybe it's because I come from the theater, but I always find that if I have that time, a company is created mm -hmm. and everybody's on the same page and people aren't flying in on the day and people are, we all sort of know what the tone of the film is because... A film like this, it would have been very easy to send it up and wink, wink, right. you know, here's what we're doing. And I really wanted to hold on to the truth of the, the story of these, of, and so that you care about this family and you believe in them as you watch them. Well, I have friends from the, in theater, and, and, and they talk about workshopping musicals. A couple of people I know, you know, sort of were in new musicals, and, and for, you know, years, through a cycle. It's well, so my question about this was, as I was watching it, 
um, you know, what was your process in terms of determining, yes, that's the song, yes, this is the story, yes, this is the choreography, and then you have VFX and animation on top of it. So how long, how long were you on it? How long were you committed to it? And what, and what were those steps? Did, it, did any of it relate to what you would do in the theater, or was it all different because it's a movie? That's a great question, Ron. Um, it was three years altogether. Um, we started just with myself and David and John just coming up with a story. Then we brought Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman in to figure out where the songs go. And that's actually one of the most important elements because there's nothing worse than a musical where the, it doesn't feel seamless. You know, like where it's starting to, if, if someone starts to sing and you have that embarrassing moment where you think, oh my God, please don't sing. Why are you singing? It's horrible. <laughs> and, and I know that feeling. And because the song hasn't been earned and it doesn't come out of story, it should come out very naturally out of story. So we spent a long time figuring that out. And then we did a writer's workshop. With, we had cast Lynn and Emily by that time. We had just had them and then a series of New York actors where we were trying different songs and, tr and, 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 and scenes and, and working that out because you're absolutely right. You don't have, in a film, you don't have out of town and you don't have right. preview performances. You don't have any of that. So where, like when you're doing that phase, yes. where, how far were you from shooting? Prior? Okay, so we were nine months from shooting. Right. So then we, so then we, so then we, and, and, and we, that was a really helpful. And I actually, I asked Disney to stay away, mm -hmm. which is a hard thing to do. And they, but they were, I, I will say they were incredibly um, uh, collaborative because they understood that I needed the process mm -hmm. because if they come, then it's a show. Right. And I have to do a show, mm -hmm. you know, and here's the show. And it's like, we're not ready for the show. Like, you know, people don't understand that process is everything. It takes time. And so then we found out what we needed. And then I had two months of, and then I pre started prepping in Shepparton, at Shepparton Studios in London with all my team and so forth, just prepping for it. And then we had the cast for over two months. And, I, you know, Lynn, for instance, had, I think, five opening songs, five different songs. Oh, really? Yeah. There was one that sounded, there was one called Just Around the Corner that's, that sounded like a, I don't know, I, it was meant to sound like a musical song, and it sounded to me like a hillbilly song. Right, <laughs> Just right. around the corner, meet right. you there. Yeah. I was like that, and I was like, no, no, it was not good. And then, and then, and then, and then we, and then Emily Blunt had, I think, three or four different songs for her first song. And and what is that kind of conversation with you know with 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 your composers? With your is it is it, is that frustrating for them, or is it kind of what they expect because it's a process? you know I, it's such a great Ron. These are such great. I mean, it's such great questions. I. You know what, I, I, know I don't get good questions like this, okay? I just have to be honest. You know, I set the table at the beginning with them. I said, guys, you have to understand, the bar is very high. Mary Poppins hasn't sung in 54 years. So we have to make sure. So we are going to test the material. We're going to put it out there. We're going to hear Emily sing it. And we're going to see, is this the one? And you know what helped us find her first song, which is Can You Imagine That? I asked them to slow it down and score it so it would sound, so you would hear what it would sound like as her theme. And it's the theme you hear when she comes out of the sky. You heard it a thousand times tonight, you know. But I, I needed to know that that theme would be something emotional for her entrance and so forth because it, it, her, her first song will be her theme. So that was something that really helped me. Now, back to the filmmaking, 
uh, uh, the, you know, because it's so visual, uh, you're dealing with everything. You're dealing with physical effects, you're dealing with digital effects, you've got the animation going. Do you do, um, you know, extensive animatics, storyboards? Uh, again, what, what was your organizational, uh, organizing principle there in terms of? Well, for, for like the underwater sequence, which is the first adventure, and, and the animation, started with storyboards because it, and, and actually it was very interesting. I did a whole another workshop, uh, just an animation workshop at the Hyperion Bungalow at Disney, which is fun because we were in that original bungalow. Mm. And the, all these animators from Pixar and from Walt Disney Animation, we sat around a table and we just put, we, they literally, we started talking about the animation sequence and they would just draw and hold something up. Right. And it was incredible because I'd never seen that before. I was like, what? And I remember a guy holding up like, like he said, what if a parasol turns into the musical tent? And he had drawn it, you know, and then we put it, I said, well, that's good, put it up, you know. So, you know, and so we had all these great animators and we just sort of, you know, by the end of our workshop, it was like all around the room. That then developed into animatics or previs because it, I, I need to see how it moved and what it would be. What's interesting is that when I'm working with previs guys, they're not used to musicals because also I'm trying to choreograph it as well. So I would say that ha hap has to happen, but it has to happen on five. Or it has to happen on one and two and three and four and ten. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And, that's, and so it was interesting to, I said, guys, you've, this is a musical. Everything has music to it. The whole thing has rhythm. So, so that was interesting to work with them. But that, but that, and that, but that was an incredible guide. And um, no, it was it, it was a very complicated. The animation sequence probably the most complicated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's remarkable. Well, uh, we have about ten minutes left, and I just thought maybe I'd open it up for some uh, some questions. Go, go ahead. Yes. So the question was: We're supposed to repeat that. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, working with Mark Shaman, did you did you have the music? At what stage did the did you have yes. the music and and the score as well? Well, what happened was we first created an outline where we placed where the songs were and had dummy titles for them. So that's something that Mark and Scott did with us. We said, here is Mary's first song. It's something about, and we came up with this idea of creating, an, you know, out of an everyday chore, which is taking a bath, something kids hate, you know, an adventure, so that she makes it special and makes an everyday thing an adventure. So, so, so we would play, we'd pinpoint where we felt music should go, and then, once we had an outline, they started to write. The first song they write, wrote was uh, Where the Lost Things Go, the ballad that she sings to the kids. They felt very connected to that song because it was about loss. I mean, the film's about loss, as we know, and um, as you saw. And it's, and it's about looking, how, how do you heal a family who's dealing with not only loss of a loved one, but loss of wonder and imagination in their lives. You know, they don't believe those things happen to them, et cetera, et cetera. So when we started working with Mark and Scott, they, that was the, they, they kind of did it out of order. But then finally they had a, basically a, you know, and they would play it for us. And, you know, it's that thing where you have to audition for us, you know. And I, like I said, I was very honest because I just thought we have to be honest, you know, and I want them to be honest with us. It was, it was that kind of working relationship. And um, finally we had a full score when we went into that writer's workshop with Lynn and Emily. And so when we had that full, full score, we tried every song. And even then, we, then they wrote some others. In fact, the, <laughs> so interesting, the, first, the, oh, the number he sings, Lovely London Sky, like I said, we had five different songs. 
The first one they wrote was Lovely London Sky. Then they wrote another 100 million, and then we came back to that one. But it was testing it, testing the material. And how about score? Did they have ideas about, I mean, in other words, did you know where, you know, certain themes were going to play out, and did you well, have that in your mind? As you yes, well, luckily, Mark writes scores for film. Like that he comes from that. So that was so helpful to have him score the film because we're using, you know, the way you do it is you, in a musical, you use the themes from the songs. Those are their themes. So they're, so, so it's all woven together. So that was, that was, that was a so dream. In advance, you would sometimes know that there's, yes. you know, this isn't a song, but this is And I asked, be- and I asked him actually, I, he was, he kind of looked at me cross-eyed, but I said, you know what, I, I'd love you to uh, record some score and orchestrate some yeah. score so I could have it on the set to, um, shoot to. I just think it's helpful to have music if you can. Well, it's so like, unusual, but it's. But, it, yes. but I, I, I felt like it was. You know, I had a, a feeling that you must have done that because again, it's just. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, uh, it, it's so it feels like it's so of a piece, and yet and uh, again back to the degree of difficulty on this and making it something that cohesive to me is really. Uh, Thank remarkable. you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Another question, back here. <laughs> Well, so the question is, uh, uh, he's a, he's a co choreographer on this. So how do they how do they work as a team uh, in, in in the choreography? Well, it's interesting, you know, something like Triple Life, Fantastic, you know, as an ex dancer, you know, I was so desperate to do a big production number that's athletic for guys. Like that was so exciting for me. Something I would have been in probably at nineteen. I don't know what. 80-something. <laughs> but so that was so exciting to do. John DeLuca, who's my partner, you know, is the same thing. You know, he comes from dance, too. So this was something, you know, that we've, I mean, we've choreographed everything since Chicago together. So it's a well-oiled machine. In fact, also the people that I work with as associate choreographers, like Joey Peasy, Tara Nicole, you know, I've, I've worked with them forever. I mean, it's, you know what it's like? I don't know if you even know this reference, but the Arthur Freed unit at MGM, it's our little mini Arthur Freed unit, because they used to do musical after musical after musical, and I just do one every four or five years, but I mean, it's that kind of thing, and so it's a well-oiled machine, and it's, there's a lot to take care of, you know, because you're dealing with principal actors, you're dealing with dancers, you're dealing with bikers, parkour bikers, incredible, and children, so there's a lot to work on layers in terms of, of, of choreography, so it's very helpful to have more, you know, a lot of hands on deck. I thought the BMX parkour bikers, were, that was a great idea. <laughs> well, that was fun. That was fun, you know, to use that element. We just were using all the elements from the Learys, the lamplighters, you know. They use bikes. They use lampposts, um, of course, and, and those great sticks where they, they, they yeah. you know, light the lamps with. Yeah. Time for two more questions. Oh, Wow. Wow. You're saying like my hero, Stanley Donan, you know. Um, This, uh, honestly, first of all, I will say thank you for saying what you said about feeling like a child because that honestly, honestly is the message of the film. So, you know, to be able to look at life through a child's eyes. And I, I know it was my guiding force making this entire movie was I felt it's something I needed now. (laughs) <laughs> this current climate of our lives, I just felt like we needed to have that um, injection of hope and a childlike sensibility in our lives of some joy. So that was really important for me. And I will say, you know, when you mentioned Stanley Donan, you know, or, you know, uh, 
he's a hero because he was a choreographer director as Bob Fosse. These are the, these are the this is sort of the the my heroes, you know, that that started in theater and moved into film and television and 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 I I will say I I this was a gift for me in a way because to be able to do an original musical for me something that I've always wanted to do. You don't th those opportunities just don't come up like you said Ron, they just don't. And so the fact that we were following in the footsteps of Mary Poppins and Disney sort of gave me that, I felt like, in a way, a carte blanche, which I couldn't believe, to go do this. I felt so, um, I, I felt like I, need, I, I needed to honor that, you know, and honor the predecessors of, uh, uh, you know, that have made me. And so, uh, you know, and, and so I really threw every bit of love and, you know, heart I had into every frame of the film. I have one more question, and then we'll ask your last one. But uh, such a complicated movie. Uh, I've been involved in complicated movies, and it's very, it's often, uh, you know, you learn something once you put it together. And so now I'm kind of curious because the preparation, the months, and 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 the and the the, the workshopping and so forth. Did you still find that? And once you were through it, that you needed to go back and do a couple of weeks of, of you know, or try a new song or anything else, or or did the did you did you get it did you get it the first time through? Well, you know what I, I we we had a very we had like I think a day and a half of of additional photography. Wow, that's all. It was so small. Yeah. Um, only because I felt I needed to do all that prep work up front. Um, and 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 really test the material, and that's when I so I did it before yeah. because also you know our, our, you know it, it was a, it, it was a big budget for most films, but for this film actually it wasn't. It's interesting. So I found myself when I first landed in London having to cut forty million out of the budget. So I think our budget was like one hundred and thirty. Mm -hmm. But but when you're working at this scale with this amount of people and locations, et cetera, it's it's it still does it's still right. you know. So I so I felt I said. Do it all now, and and the truth is, there's nothing on the cutting room floor. Yeah, there's oh, really? like one little tiny thing. No kidding. Nothing. That's remarkable. Nothing. Last question. It's all out of fear. Yeah. <laughs> fear and terror. Oh my gosh. That's that most note. over. I just got chills. Thank you. That's <laughs> thank so you. lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody. That was and thank you, Ron. You're amazing. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and A. If you'd like to hear more. You can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have a lot more for you in the coming weeks as awards season continues, including Q&As from Peter Hedges, Adam McKay, and Anne Fletcher, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.